Hi, you're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Impact Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia. I'm Pastor Brandon, the church planter and lead pastor. We are a new church in the D.C. area that is centered on the gospel and sent to our neighborhoods, Northern Virginia, and the nations. Please visit our website at www.impactfxbg.church. There, you'll find our current meeting times and locations. Our prayer is that you are encouraged by the message you hear today and fall more in love with Jesus and others. Thanks for listening. All right. Hey, uh, if you guys have a Bible with you this morning, um, go ahead and get that out. Whether you brought a a physical Bible or you have a phone or a tablet, go ahead and grab that. Get that out today and uh, turn with me to the New Testament or scroll with me to the New Testament. We are going to be in the book of 1 Timothy today. So it's kind of towards the back end of your Bible, and if you need to look in the table of contents, uh, help yourself and make sure you do that. And if you get to the maps in the back of your Bible, you've gone too far, all right? Um, So I want to encourage you guys, if you're new to church, this is your first time to church, or uh, first time to church in a while, and you're kind of like, Oh, man, I don't know about this. I don't have a Bible, and he's talking about using a phone. My phone didn't come with a Bible. I want to encourage you, you can download an app. There's an app for everything. So I want to encourage you, download the app, uh, Version, Y-O-U version, and uh, that's an app that I use. But there's plenty of them. Just type in Bible, and uh, the Bible app will show up. Download it, and uh, you guys can follow along in God's Word with us today, all right? So today we are starting a brand new sermon series. So you picked a great day to come, everybody. We're here. We're starting fresh. We're starting new. Uh, we just finished in the month of January, uh, our series, um, kind of New Year Fresh Start, and where we were just talking about some different disciplines of Bible reading and prayer and fasting, things that we can do as a church to really spur on our spiritual growth this year. And so I want to encourage you, you can go back to the podcast and, and our website and listen to some of those uh, messages. And man, Mark Merriman brought it last week. Mark, great job, man. And uh, yeah, let's give the Lord some praise for Mark. And uh, it was really great, especially for somebody who showed up and didn't have a sermon. So that was, that was really great, Mark. Good job. Uh, no, Mark did an awesome job. And, uh, but like Mark mentioned, we're going to be doing some things this year that um, uh, really, like, we want to spend some time. That's why we're going to be opening up the book of 1 Timothy is because we are a brand-new church, and uh, we're just a little over a year old. And uh, so sometimes when you start a new church, kind of like having a, a, a kid, like you have a, this one-year-old, and all of a sudden, like, it was kind of fine when it was six months old because it just kind of sat there and did it, and you're like, oh, okay, well, it's a baby, yep. And then, uh, and then as it grows, it starts to walk, and it starts to talk, and it starts to figure out, like, okay, it's getting this personality, it's getting this, this rhythm, this thing, and what does that look like, and what's it mean? And so, um, and so we're going to go through the book of First Timothy um, because it really helps set the stage for what the church is supposed to be. And so we're naming this series Church of the Living God. And the reason that we're naming it that is because we don't want you to leave these messages as we study the book of 1 Timothy. We don't want you to leave here like knowing more about the church, okay? There are books about that. There are blogs about that. You can take me to coffee. I'll tell you about that. Like, there are so many things about the church, and there are so many different ideas and preferences and all of this stuff. But guys, listen to me. We want you to walk away from this series more in love with the living God of the church than you are with the church. And sometimes I think our focus gets off a little bit 
and we start to focus more on the church and our preferences and styles and what we like or what we don't understand, um, and then we do spending time on the living God that is in charge of the church. And so our, my job, our job as we bring this uh, series over the next few weeks is really not to help you understand church better, but to help you understand the Lord of the church, Jesus Christ. And he is alive. And so, uh, so that, that's kind of where, where we're at and why we're going to be doing this. And we'll kind of go through today. We're going to cover a lot of ground today. Um, uh, and so you just kind of buckle in. But I got to thinking, like, um, you know, when it came to the church, a lot of times we do treat it like, um, you know, we have different styles, different preferences. I've been a part of churches that um, I thought, oh, man, this is great. This is exactly what I like. I've been a part of churches that I was like, oh, this isn't really my thing. I've pastored churches that I'm like, oh, this isn't really my thing. But it's like because it doesn't really matter, right, about the style or the preferences. What matters is about God. And so I got to thinking like, man, you know, sometimes I, I, I've God's used me. One role that I can play in the kingdom is to help start churches. And, um, and so as like a church planter, I get a lot of ideas, all right? And anyone that spends time with me will tell you I'm an ideas person. It's just what I do. But yeah, I have to be really careful. Like I've learned over time that I have to be really careful sharing my ideas because only one out of about 500 is a good idea. Like I've got a lot of ideas, and so I have to start warning people when I'm like talking and I see their eyes get bigger and bigger and bigger and they start sweating and they start, they're kind of like, is this dude serious right now? And then I have to step back and be like, hey, listen, it's just an idea. All right, don't freak out about it. It's just, I've got plenty of them. In fact, I've got four more. Let's talk about it. And I just, I'm an ideas person. All right, I come up with ideas. For example, um, I, I've had some good ideas and I've had some bad ideas. Anybody ever had a bad idea before? Okay, good. I'm glad I'm not alone. Half of us. The other half are perfect. But those half of us, all right, are a bunch of wretches, and we've had some bad ideas. And, uh, and man, I, I've had some bad ideas. Uh, the first time I ever remember getting into trouble, I was a good kid. This is going to be hard for you to imagine. I was a really shy and quiet kid. Some of you are going, no, it always is that type, all right? And so, like, I was a really shy and quiet kid growing up, and the first time I ever remember getting in trouble, I was in the second grade, y'all. I was in second grade. We were getting ready to go to recess. I grabbed my snack out of the backpack. I got in line, and all of a sudden, I hear on the intercom, uh, it tells my teacher uh, that Brandon's mom is here for the conference. And that was said over the intercom to the whole class. Everybody's like, ooh, you know. And I'm like, what? I'm probably getting an award or something. You know, like, it's fine. And so, uh, so they all go to recess, and the teacher takes me. We go to the office. We get my mom. We sit down. I'm waiting for the teacher to tell my mom, Brandon's such a wonderful student. We really think we need to promote him to high school. Like, he's doing a great job. You know, the governor would like to meet with him. Like, he's got, you know. And instead, the teacher looks at my mom and says, yeah, we're a little worried about Brandon because uh, he's really – like, he's really started a lot of division in our classroom. And I'm like, what? Divi what is she talking about? She goes, yeah, apparently, like, he has started this underground club on the playground. And, uh, like, the other clubs weren't good enough. So he went and grabbed people from all the other clubs. And it started an underground club under the slide on the playground. And we don't know, like, and he's not letting other people in it. And we're really concerned about little Brandon. And my mom is like, oh, I can't believe my sweet little boy would do this. And I'm like, well, I'm really sorry, you know. And I don't remember, like, what happens after that, but I just file that under bad idea. 
you know. And it's shame on me. I never should have let it out of the bag. And I don't know what student ratted on me, but that was my worst idea, was letting whoever that kid was in the underground club. I've had some bad ideas. Uh, one time I was a, a youth pastor in a previous life. I spent 10 years as a youth pastor. And uh, you do, see, I, I'm convinced God uses a lot of youth pastors to become senior pastors because you get out all the immaturity while you're a youth pastor and the stakes are a little lower so that then you can become a senior pastor, you know, and you still have all the immaturity. You just know how to play it off a little bit more. And, uh, and so um, I remember one time I was taking some kids to camp and there was this one, uh, this one kid, well, a group of kids, honestly, there's about three or four of them. They were in junior high and it was their first time off to camp. And I don't know, they, they were just, can I just be real, they were just getting on my nerves, all right, like they were just, and I, I don't, I'm not like the best, like I'm good with kids, and I'm good with uh, high school, but if you're in junior high, like sometimes I'm just like, I don't know what to do with you, and so, so I'm just like, you know, we're having this kind of thing, and, um, and so they, like this is one thing I learned early on in my youth ministry, is always strike first, all right, always strike first, like never fall asleep first, right? Like always strike first. So we're, we're going to the camp and I hear them scheming and I had some other older kids come to me and say, hey, Pastor Brandon, like this group of guys are thinking about doing this. We want to let you know it involves jello and we thought you should be aware. And I'm like, okay, no problem. I'll just go ahead and pull it out. So I took all of their underwear and froze it overnight. And, uh, and so I thought, hey, this is really, you know, and it's really easy. You just wet it and put it in the freezer, and then they wake up the next morning. Well, and to be honest with you, it was junior high, so it took them two or three days to realize uh, that it, some of their clothing was missing. And uh, some of you are like, I can't believe this is that kind of church talking about this. And so I, we go get them and, uh, and freeze them anyway. And so uh, and that, but that, I thought, man, that was a really good idea until I got a phone call from a parent. And they were like, uh, did you freeze my child's underwear? And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, but you don't know what they were going to do to me. And so, uh, so that, but I filed that under, under bad idea. I had a bad idea recently. Um, it involves some of you here, so I actually blame you. I'm not going to name your names, but you know who you are. One time we were talking, I was like, I need a hobby. I'm thinking about uh, splitting wood. So I've got a lot of wood at our new house and in our yard, and I thought, I'm going to take up a new hobby. I'm going to split wood. And what I meant was is I'm going to do that sometime. Like at some point, I'm going to do this. And this group of guys came up to me after community group, and they were like, well, why don't we do it? What are you doing this week? And I was like, well, I, I, I don't know, I guess, you know. And, uh, and they were like, well, let's do it. And they, they planned it and did all this stuff. They were all at my house like before I was. Like they were there ready to roll. They got their gear. They got their stuff. I had to go to the store and be like, you know, how do you, I don't know, I'll buy this tool, I'll buy this tool. And, and so we go and we get there and we get ready and, and we're doing our thing, right? And we're, you know, and I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm just, you know, I saw it on a YouTube video. So I'm like doing my thing, you know, and I'm chopping all this wood. And after about an hour of chopping wood, we're feeling pretty good, like, we're feeling like men a little bit, you know, like, um, we smell like wood, we're bleeding a little bit, like, you know, we're, everything's good, none of us are complaining, right, even though all of us are hurting a little bit, and, uh, and then I realized when I woke up the next morning, see guys, I, uh, three weeks before, I bruised my tailbone, and I don't know if you ever had a bruised tailbone, but I pray in the name of Jesus, 
that you never bruise your tailbone, all right? It is horrible. But I was starting to feel a little bit better, and I was popping ibuprofen like candy. And I, so, I, of course, I was able to go out and split wood, and then I didn't move for the next three days. And if you're one of those men that came over and did that with me, I just want you to know, please, I sinned against you that next morning. <laughs> and I want to ask for your forgiveness publicly for that. But I file that, <laughs> I file that <laughs> under bad ideas. Wouldn't you, Jake? Yeah, bad, bad ideas, bad ideas. Now listen, here's what I want you to know as we jump into 1 Timothy, all right? We're going to read some things that seem like good ideas. We're going to read some things that seem like bad ideas. But here's what I want you to know. If you're taking notes, write this down. The church was God's idea. The church was God's idea. It wasn't my idea. It's not your idea. It doesn't matter. My preferences or your preferences. Listen, it's okay to have preferences. I got them. You got them. It's okay. But listen, the church was not my idea. This church, Impact Church, was not my idea. The people who, who started this church, who, who helped two years ago get this church off the ground, it was not their idea. The church is God's idea. Now, this may seem like duh, right? This may, you may be hearing like, yeah, Brian, why are you making me write that down? That's like, duh. Um, but listen, sometimes we get so caught up in shoving church in a box that is our idea. And church needs to fit into our idea because if we can't understand it, then we'll just go find another one. And we don't realize that the church is not our idea. We didn't come up with it. Not a single person in this church came up with the idea to start a church. God came up with that idea. That was God's plan and God's will. And so I want you to know as we study this book, there's going to be some things that we're going to get to that normally I would not preach about. Like I wouldn't just pick and go, oh, I love this verse. Let me preach on this. It's really hard. It'll, it'll upset us, you know. Like I, I wouldn't do that. I would just go, no, let's see what Psalms has to say today. Like that's, that's the direction I would go. But listen, because the Bible is God's word and it's his authority over our lives and it's his idea, we want to know what his idea is. Amen. Like we want to know if we're starting a new church that 20 years from now, nobody's sitting back going, man, Brandon had a bad idea. But they sit back and they go, man, I'm so grateful that a group of people sought the Lord, fasted, prayed, got together, loved one another, and read their Bible to figure out what God's idea was for this church. Um, so here are some things you can expect that we're going to go over. Uh, the first thing I'm really excited is we're going to ordain our first elder. So um, in a couple of weeks, we're going to read a, a passage and teach on a passage that talks about uh, pastors in the church and uh, elders, another word for pastor. And so uh, we're going to be bringing up um, uh, Wes uh, to ordain, to bring up to the church as a candidate for elder. So he's going to be going through ordination process in the next couple of weeks and doing all this stuff. He's going to preach soon. And uh, you guys, if you've been around for a while, you've heard him preach. And, um, and so I just want you guys to know, to be a year and a half in and to ordain our first elder, that's a big deal. That's awesome. Um, and then uh, Mark mentioned last week that Mark is going to go through the process. Maybe later in the spring or the summer, uh, we'll bring him, we'll ordain him. But um, the first book of First Timothy is going to help teach us as a church what that looks like and why that's important. Um, we're going to learn how to be involved in God's mission. 
We're going to remind ourselves of the beauty of the gospel. We're going to learn how to pray and how to worship as a church. We're going to pray over our new leadership development and residency program. Um, guys, that's really exciting because we've started that program um, so that we can raise up more leaders from our church and this church can start more churches. And so uh, we're hoping in the next couple of years that we as a church will send out our first teams to go start more churches um, all throughout uh, D.C. and the nation. Um, so we're going to learn about that in 1 Timothy. We're going to discover how to discern false teachers and teachings, like legit false teachers, not just ones that we don't like or disagree with, but what legit false teachings are. And uh, we're going we're gonna to worship a living God. And uh, we're just going to take time uh, in God's word and do that, all right? So that's a little bit of introduction uh, for this series, but I want you to understand why we're doing it and where we're coming from. Let's dive in, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. If you're there, say, I'm there. All right, we're doing good, guys. Um, listen, I'm going to read a verse, read a few verses. I'll stop, talk about it. And so I'm not going to read it all at once, okay? Here we go. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. Now let's stop right there because what this tells us is who's writing the letter. It's a guy named Paul. Everybody say Paul. And who is Paul? You're kind of like, who is Paul? We're talking about St. Paul, like Paul the apostle, like what, who is this dude? And um, so Paul tells us who he is. He calls himself an apostle of Christ Jesus. And anytime like he mentions himself as an apostle, he's saying this is coming from God. Like, this isn't coming from Paul's preferences or Paul's opinions. Uh, this is coming from God. So that's what it means to name himself as an apostle. And uh, Paul is writing this letter to a guy named Timothy. Um, so even though he's writing this letter to a guy named Timothy in its historical context, it is still good for us today. And it is still God's authority over us today. All right. So if you're taking notes, you can write this down. First Timothy is going to teach us about what we should look like as a church. This book is going to teach us what we should look like as a church. And that's really what Paul's telling Timothy in his introduction. As he's saying, listen, dude, I'm writing you this letter because I want to tell you what this church should look like. Um, and so he tells us a couple of things, right? Like, first thing he says about the church and, uh, and so a lot of times we say, what should church look like? We think, what should our worship style be? What should the preaching style be? What kind of building should it be? Blah, 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 blah. But listen, this is how, like, these are the first truths Paul tells Timothy about the church. Number one, God is our Savior. God is our Savior. If you look at verse one, it says, by command of God, our Savior. Paul doesn't say, I'm here in authority because of my Savior. He says, I'm here in authority because of God, our Savior, plural. Like, he is our Savior together. Um, and so God is our Savior. Like, sometimes, let's be honest, this is the only truth that sometimes unites a random group of people, right? Like, we're all together, and uh, we wouldn't have to work very hard to find things we don't like, right? All you got to do is be like, so what shows are you watching? And there'd be people like, well, I'm team this, and I watch this. And other people are like, oh, you're, you're, you're a heathen. You shouldn't watch that show, and I don't own a TV, and I'm holy. You know, like, we have all of this stuff, like, that doesn't unite us. But church, listen to me. We have a truth that God is our Savior that does unite us. But that word Savior is really important. Like as a church for us to know that we've been saved. Because a lot of times, a lot of times we walk into a church service and we sing songs and we listen to a message like nothing has happened inside of us. 
We come in and we play this church game, especially those of us who, and I count myself, who've been raised in church and gone to church for five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. Like, like we can play a church game and we start to walk into this thing like nothing has changed inside of us. But church, listen to me. We've been saved. Like we've been saved. If someone physically saved your life, you would come in and tell us about it. Man, I was saved this week, right? It's kind of like when, um, when I travel. So, um, uh, man, when I travel, especially when I'm going, like, within the U.S., um, you guys know when the flight attendant is explaining all of the protocols, you know, like when the oxygen mask drops, make sure you put yours on before you help somebody else. And then they always get to the part where you're, you know, should this uh, flight turn into a cruise, your uh, seat cushion will turn into a flotation device, you know. And I've always wondered, like, you know, I just kind of laugh because I'm like, we're not traveling over any water, right? So, like, if this turns into a cruise, like, something went horribly, horribly wrong, right? Like, I just don't think I have a need for my seat cushion as a flotation device, right? Um, and so, I want you to kind of, it's kind of like if, I, if we were here today and I said, well, guys, for your safety, uh, uh, Impact Church, we have put a, um, a, a flotation device under your seat for you. Everybody's got a life jacket just in case, you know, things start to go down during the church service today you know you'd be like okay like what am I supposed to do with that you know like why are you giving me a life jacket but guys sometimes that's how we treat God as our savior like sometimes we treat God as our savior we go man he saved us but we're going saved us from what like why why does that matter but guys listen we had to be saved from our sin like if we're not saved from our sin and our sin is not forgiven God's not hearing us today like, if our sin is not forgiven, we walk out of here with no hope today. We played a religious game that made us feel more burdened by the time we leave today. We needed to be saved. And you walk in and you go, man, Brandon, I go to church, I do the religious thing, but I still feel burdened. I still feel guilty. I still feel like a mess up. You need to be saved too. Because Jesus comes to save us from guilt, from burden, from the pain that our sin causes. Like, we need to be saved. Here's the second thing that it says in verse 1 is that Christ Jesus is our hope. He is our hope. He is our salvation, and he is our hope. But church, listen to me. This isn't hope like, man, I hope, you know, the Braves win the World Series, or I hope the 49ers win the Super Bowl, or, you know, whatever. This isn't hope like I hope that happens. This is hope because something has already happened, therefore we have a confident hope. It's kind of like when uh, somebody comes and looks at me and says, so, Brandon, are you married? I don't say, well, I hope so. I don't say that, right? My wife's the only one who kind of laughed. That wasn't even a laugh. That was like a, mm, right? a little murmur. I, listen, I don't say that when somebody says, are you married? I don't say, I hope so. You know what I say? I say, heck yeah, absolutely. Check the bling. Like, yes, I'm married. I am married because I have a hope right? That I'm still married, right? I, I have that hope. And guys, that's the hope and the confidence a relationship with God gives us. All right, verse two. He says, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul is writing this to a guy named Timothy. He's a young guy, probably in his mid-20s to early 30s, something like that. And Paul calls him a true child in the faith. So this is a guy that Paul discipled, that he met with. We use that word a lot at Impact Church. That's because we want everyone in a discipleship relationship. 
And that's where we get this from, the type of relationship Paul had with Timothy. And that's going to come out some more in this letter. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it today. Um, But I want you to understand, just from these first two verses, you're like, Brandon, we're not getting through very much, you know, bro, in like two verses. But there's a lot here, and I want you to understand these three things, all right? Number one, the gospel is power. The gospel is power. It is powerful. It is powerful to save us and to give us hope. I want you to walk away knowing uh, from these two verses that the church matters to God. That God put like all of these verses and had Paul write a letter and Paul's writing this to Timothy and the church matters to God. And number three, I want you to know we've been given a great purpose. Like we have been given a great purpose because you may go, well, Brandon, I'm not a pastor. I'm not going to be a pastor. I don't do things from the stage, blah, blah, blah. Let me tell you something. The power of the church is not what happens on this platform. The power of the church is what happens in the heart of the church every day of the week. That is because it's the power of the living God that is at work Monday through the next Sunday through every single believer of Jesus. All right, verse 3. Paul says, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Now, guys, honestly, when I was preparing for this, I made this a throw. I don't want to say a throwaway verse, but I was going to read it. I was going to explain it and move on. But to be honest with you, when I was looking over my notes last night and when I woke up this morning, I literally woke up like half asleep, but I was preaching this, like I was, I was reading this verse. And so I want to take just a second and say what this verse has meant to me, because I just feel like there might be one person here who needed to hear this random verse <laughs> in First Timothy chapter 1. But um, it says, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is the city that, that Timothy is starting this new church. Okay, so, so Timothy is hanging out at Ephesus, and we don't know what happened, but when Paul and Tim were in Macedonia, Tim was probably saying, like, yeah, I'm thinking about leaving Ephesus. I'm thinking about heading out somewhere else, you know, doing something else. Maybe I want to come with you, Paul, and learn more. And Paul urged him, no, you can't do that. You can't go somewhere else. You can't come with me. You have to stay at Ephesus because God still has some work for you to do there. And uh, I remember in 2009, I moved to Northern Virginia, and I was the youth pastor at a church in Manassas, Virginia. And to be honest with you, things were really, really hard at the church. And I got about three or four months in, and I was, I was 24, I was single, and I knew nobody in Northern Virginia. Everyone I knew lived in Mississippi. Okay, and I moved a thousand miles away. I knew nobody had nobody I could just call up and go to dinner with like nothing. I was I was single and I was lonely and uh, and things at the church were really hard. Like they, they became really, really difficult. And so there came a night after a really difficult meeting that I went to my office and I prayed and I said, God, I know it's only been four months, but I'm ready to go back home. I came, I took a step of obedience, I pleased you, I gave it four months, but I'm ready to go back home. And I really believe with all of my heart that God told me, you have to stay here. And my response to him back was, what did I do to you? Right? Like, what, what have I done? What sin is in my life that you are, you are like, disciplining me 
by making me stay here. And he said, because there is still work to be done. And I told him, I said, Lord, I said, there is no more work to be done. They have made it clear. There is no more work to be done. I'm done. They're done. Let me go back home. And the Lord said, no, you have to stay. And I'm so glad because two years later, I met my wife. Two years and two weeks later, we started a church. And then uh, fast forward 10 years later, here we are standing here with all of you today. And I want you to know it was lonely, it was uncomfortable, I was miserable, and I hated it. Like, I just, wanna, I just want you to know, I was not in a good place. But the Lord told me I stayed, and I stayed. And it doesn't mean that it was always easy, but I've never regretted it a single time. Guys, I want you to know this. I want you to know that sometimes in the church we glorify going. We glorify going. Go, pack up, leave. Sometimes it's out of wanderlust. We just want to go, right? Sometimes it's out of leaving a difficult situation and saying, well, certainly God doesn't want me to be in this difficult situation, so I, I have to leave and I have to abandon. Like sometimes in the church, we bring people, we, the only people we bring up sometimes are the people who are going to do what? Go. Who are, we, we call it our what time? Go time. All right, we, sometimes as a church, we glorify the going. But church, let me tell you something. The Bible also glorifies the staying. The Bible also glorifies and says there are times in our relationship with God that it takes more faith to stay right where you're at than for you to go. And the question is, what, makes, what, what requires the most faith in God? Because for some of us, we go because it was just the easiest thing to do. And some of us, when our heart is saying, go, leave, jump, abandon ship, God is saying, no, I want you to stay because I still got work for you to do. All right, somebody needed to hear that. I, maybe I, it was me. All right, 1 Timothy chapter 1, <laughs> let's go to verse 4. He says, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love. Everybody say love. That issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion. Does this sound like anybody's Twitter account? Sound like anybody's social media feed? Okay desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they're saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. If you're taking notes, write this down. We have been called to guard the gospel with love. We have been called to guard the gospel with love. And I think sometimes in the church, we get the guarding the gospel part down pretty good. We just do it like a bunch of jerks sometimes. And the Bible says we are to guard the gospel with our lives, with love. Like, I, I often have thought, like, what would it look like if the church, like, took a hard stand for the gospel of Jesus without being jerks about it? 
Like what would, how would that change our culture? How would that change the messaging? How would it change social media? And I want you to understand like this was hard because Ephesus, the town that Timothy was in, um, was a city that had a few things happening in their culture. Uh, number one, they were really sexually confused. Okay, I don't know if that sounds familiar to anybody, but they were very sexually confused. They had all of these temples and um, uh, crazy like sex temples and did all of this stuff. And sometimes we think that like sexuality was America's idea. Read the Old Testament. Okay, it is not new to America. In fact, like I'm convinced that the worst of America, the Old Testament, would make them blush. All right. Like this is not a new sexual sin is not a new thing. And so this was prevalent. So I don't want you to think sexually confused like, oh, I'm sure, but it wasn't as bad as today. No, it's probably 10 times worse than today. Um, They had a big population, which means there were a lot of ideas. Okay. So going back to ideas, there were a lot of ideas because there were a lot of people. It was a heavily, densely populated area, kind of like Route 3 and I-95. They were... (laughs) They worshipped and had festivals for this goddess Diana. And uh, magic and sorcery were everywhere. Kind of like uh, sometimes, you know, we walk downtown. I think we just got like in Fredericksburg, just in downtown, we got like our fourth or fifth like spirituality store or whatever uh, where you can like explore spirituality and um, nothing. Well, yeah, that's wrong. And so, um, <laughs> sorry, I didn't want to go down that rabbit trail, but uh But just like in Ephesus, magic and sorcery was very popular, okay? So I want you to, do you see any, like, correlations between our culture here in Northern Virginia and the culture in Ephesus? So I want you to remember, too, that everybody at the church that Timothy was pastoring, everybody was a new believer, okay? The church was brand new. There were no churched people. Like there wasn't anybody that could come with them and say, what are you guys doing? Didn't you know that we've got awesome programs like ProPresenter? You know, don't, didn't you know that like that's not how we do things in God's house? They didn't do any. They didn't know anything. So they're all new believers. And so what happens is a lot of people want the popularity of being a teacher in the church, but they had no clue what they were talking about. And so Paul says this. Paul says, Tim, you need to deal with that but you need to do it with love that comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. And so there's a lot of talk, right, about dealing with sin in love. And I always get this question from people I'm discipling. Then, pastor, what does it look like to, like, deal with their sin but also love them? Sometimes we put it this way, right? Speak the truth in love, right? And people go, I'm good at speaking the truth, but what does it look like to speak it in love? So a lot of times we just say, now listen, I'm saying this because I love you, but da 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 okay? And that's usually not effective. If you wonder, what does it look like to speak the truth in love? Ask yourself this question. Is this coming from a pure heart? Are my motives right with what I'm about to say, or am I just ticked off? What is, do I have a pure heart? Do I have a good conscience? In other words, am I clear from, like, personal dispute with this person? Am I trying to have a personal attack? Am I practicing what I'm preaching right now? And sincere faith. I sincerely believe that God will accomplish what he wants to in your life, and that's his job and not mine. So if you wonder, how do I speak the truth in love? That's how. 
pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith. All right, let's keep rolling. Verse 8. Verse 8 says, Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Some of us are going to read that and be like, what did he say about truth and love? <laughs> what was that, Paul? What were you saying about that? All right. Now, listen, I want to I explain a couple of things, but write this down. If we lose the gospel, we lose everything. If we lose the gospel, we lose everything. If we get to a point in this church and we say, man, we're really growing, We've got a lot of money. Let's build a huge facility that'll be nice and comfortable and safe for us. I know we won't be able to preach the gospel as much or, or send the gospel out as much, but it'll be good for us. We will have gained a big building and lost the gospel. And if we lose the gospel, we lose everything. There may be a time that we say, you know, there's a lot of these songs that if we just sang these songs, we would reach these types of people. But those songs may not have the gospel in them. And if we lose the gospel, but we gained cool songs, we lost everything. If we lose the gospel, we lose everything. And so Paul is talking about the law here. He's talking about the Old Testament, mainly the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers. Um, there's about 600 laws that God gives to his people uh, there. And so Paul, just a lot of times what happens is Christians take verses like this, they rip it out of context, and instead of reading the whole chapter, they say, see here, see here, you're a liar. And liars go to hell, and that's wrong, and you're bad, burn. Like, that's the things that, that crazy people do, okay? But listen, in its context, Paul is not singling these things out. Paul is giving a list of those 600 laws that God gave in the Old Testament. He's just picking some that Ephesus is struggling with right now, okay? Because there are sins that Fredericksburg struggles with that Richmond may not. Or sins that Fredericksburg struggles with that England may not. And sins that India struggles with that Northern Virginia might not. And so, so Paul is just listing out some of these, some of these things. And, um, but listen, this is what he says. He says, but the law isn't for the good people. The law is for the bad people. And immediately we're sitting here going, yeah, yeah, it's not for me. It's for my neighbor. But the bottom line is, like, think about it this way. Why do we have a speed limit, Right? Why do we have a speed limit? We didn't come up with a speed limit for people who never speed, right? We didn't come up with it and say, you know, we need a speed. Everybody's doing such a good job. Let's just post some signage around, okay? No, we have a speed limit because we're a bunch of speed demons, right? Except for Britter Kinsey, apparently. All right? I, that's why I asked that question yesterday. I was trying to figure it out. Listen, the law shows us that none of us are perfect. None of us. The law is not meant for Christians to use, to pick and choose, to judge the people around them. The law is used so that if you are saved and forgiven, you fall flat on your face, worshiping and praising God for that. Because you're reading the law going, he, I do all of that. 
and he wiped it all clean? Hallelujah. Like that's why we worship in this place. And so listen, this passage isn't just, you know, um, <laughs> it's not just counting, you know, liars and pointing out homosexuality. It's, it's counting all of us out. Okay? It's not just saying liars are bad or homosexuals are bad or people that get into fights are bad. It, Paul's point is that we are all bad. And that's why verse 11 is our standard. This small sample list in the Bible is not your standard of holiness. Verse 11 is your standard in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I've been entrusted. Our standard is the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. That's our standard. And we've all fallen short. We've all messed it up. So I think Paul knows that he might be a little hypocritical here. You guys heard that phrase? When you point a finger at someone, you have what? What's well, three? But yeah, unless I, you're like double jointed or something. Yeah. And so Paul knows that, so Paul is about to just share his journey. So listen to this in verse 12. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. Now listen, Paul doesn't start, you know, naming off his individual sins. But I, I think he covers a lot with the words blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. He says, but I received mercy. Somebody say mercy. Because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the worst, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Come on. Then Paul just starts worshiping. He says, oh my gosh, to the king of the ages. He is immortal. He is invisible. He is the only God. To him be honor and glory forever and ever. Somebody say amen. amen. Man, this is our story if you are in Christ in this place today. And if this is not your story today, you can walk out of here in the next 10 minutes and it can be your story. Like, there's nothing magical. It's supernatural. And Jesus can come in and do this in an instant, right now, today in our lives. So write this down. The gospel of Jesus Christ is undeniable and it is worthy of celebration. Man, it is undeniable and it is worthy of our celebration. This is Paul's story. I don't have time to get into the ins and outs today but uh, you can go back and read Acts chapter 9, okay? So if you just want to read that this week, write down Acts chapter 9, and uh, you can go back and read the specific story he's talking about. But man, for some of you, you know, this is your story. You walked in here today, and you say, Randy, I wouldn't consider myself an insolent opponent of God. But brother and sister, listen to me. There's no gray area here. You are either a friend of God, 
or you are an enemy of God. There is no in-between. The Bible calls that lukewarm. And at the end of time, it's the lukewarm people that get thrown away. Guys, there's no gray area. If you walked into this place today, I want you to know this can be your story. You don't have to walk out of here going, dang, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not the friend of God. I, haven't, I don't know that Jesus has saved me, but I'm, I don't want to be an enemy, and I definitely don't want to be in the gray area. So how do I get there? Brother, sister, you believe in Jesus. You, you give your life to follow Jesus. You receive the forgiveness of sins that he gave to us on the cross. You believe that he didn't just die on the cross, but three days later, he rose from the dead. Because that way you can actually follow Jesus because he's alive. And you're not following some dead philosophy around. But you're following a risen person, a Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord. And man, the church ought to be filled with people who walk in to this reality every single week. But most of the time, people who don't know Jesus walk into our churches and walk out and see absolutely no difference in the way these people gathered and the way any other group, nonprofit gathers in the city. Guys, there ought to be something special about the people who walk in and say, I know who I was and I'm not that anymore, but it's not because of me. It's because God is my Savior. Hallelujah. I am here to praise him. To the, to the king of the ages. The, I mean, we ought to be like Paul. We start to tell our story and go, I need a minute. Come on. And you don't have to be as crazy or as loud as me, okay? This is an inward expression, and this is just how I outwardly display it. You outwardly display the way God's created you, okay? But there needs to be an inward reflection upon what Christ has done for us. Man, some of you are going, Brandon, how do I share this with someone? I just want you to know this is the most beautiful presentation of the gospel in all of Scripture, in my opinion. Because Paul is able to share the gospel in nine words. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. That is good news. If you're not perfect, that is good news. Let's finish this thing up. Worship team, you guys can go ahead and come up. But don't close your Bibles yet. Look at, with me in verse 18. It says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made a shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Well, that's a, that's a bad way to end a church service. Should have, should have stopped at the other part. Guys, the point here is, is that you have a choice. Jesus has provided salvation and his desire is for all to come to him. And yet there were still some in the church, right? It says their faith shipwrecked. They believed. But then their faith veered off. And as they drifted, they ended up wrecking. And some of you might describe your faith that way for the last three years. 
or the last three months or the last three days. And the good news is, is that it says, Paul says in verse 20, that they may learn not to. Paul doesn't give up hope. Paul doesn't say, I've handed them over. I'm just letting them have their way. I'm letting them be shipwrecked. I'm letting them do their thing. I'm letting them abandon Jesus and don't ever speak to them again. No, he says, I'm letting them do their thing because I believe that they will learn that Jesus is better. And I want you to know you might be here today and feel like your faith is shipwrecked. You go, Brandon, I'm full of burdens, and this happened to me, and this happened to me, and this happened to me. And brother and sister, listen, I can't begin to understand, but I do do sympathize with you. And I, I want you to know, if your faith has shipwrecked, you don't need to fix the boat and come back to Jesus. You need to ask for his help at the sight of the wreck. Throw up your hands and say what any of us would say if we were drowning. Save me. Save me. And I believe with all of my heart that that two-word prayer is enough, if you mean it in your heart, to change your life for an eternity. We're going to, in a moment, respond to the Lord. But I want to encourage you, man, let Jesus save you today. If you go, Brandon, I... I am saved. Like, I know that I'm saved. I say, man, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Like, good. So now let me ask you this question. How are you going to fight for this gospel every day this week? Because this gospel, this good news is under attack in all of our lives. And this is good news today, but brother and sister, let me tell you something. It's going to be good news Monday when you get to work and things blow up. When you get that random text that's full of drama on Wednesday, this gospel's still good news. When you said, save me, and you felt like you ride to the ship, and then by Friday, you're drifting into the side again, the gospel's still good news for you. Hi, Pastor Brandon here. Thanks again for listening to our Impact Church Sermon Podcast. If God has spoken to you today or you have a prayer request you'd like to share, please email us at hello at impactfxbg.church. If you're local to the Fredericksburg area, we would love to see you for worship in person. But if not, please let us know if we can help you find a gospel-centered church right where you're at. Feel free to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram and on our website, www.impactfxbg.church. Until next time, keep living the dream.